1: Hello and welcome to the Good, the Dad and the Ugly, the fatherhood podcast. I'm Seth, a new dad, and on each episode you'll hear me and my good pal Jamie, who's also a new dad, as we chat with our special guest each month about everything that comes with modern day fatherhood. Along the way, you'll also get the latest highs and lows and thrills and spills as Jamie and I foray further into these unfamiliar, joyful and often choppy choppy waters. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of The Good, The Dad and The Ugly, The Fatherhood Podcast. Uh, it's me, Seth, and I'm here with Jamie again. Hiya. Hi, Jay. Hi. Hi. So, yeah, just wanted to get a bit of housekeeping out of the way. Thanks, everyone, as always, for downloading, sharing, rating, and reviewing. That's great for us. It keeps, you know, it keeps the message out there, helps us uh, get the pod uh, as far as we can. So just carry on doing that as much as you can, anyone who hasn't done so already.
2: Jamie, how are you doing? I'm very well, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I had a week off uh, work, yeah, I went to the Cotswolds for a couple of days. Very nice. Which was good, yeah, it was was some interesting experiences. Uh, What what kinds? Well, the main one was we decided in our infinite wisdom to take her for a a bit of a walk around, you know, you go to these places, you stay in the countryside, you stay in a pub or whatever, and you can see all these walks that you can go on. And we decided to take her for like this like two-mile walk, no, three-mile walk. It, like it takes a couple of hours, whatever, three fields and that. And we got a bit lost. And then she was on the kind of, you know, those um, uh, Baby Bjorn kind of like, right, you know, yeah, slings. Yeah. And she was really good for like majority of the time. And then she started crying. And we were like, oh, she's just a bit tired, whatever. And then she was crying and crying and crying. We're like, oh, we're a mile from home. She'll be all right. And we we're like, maybe we should check her to see if she's like weed or pooed or whatever. Yeah. And we had a look and, not only she had pooed, she'd gone through every like the three layers of clothing she was wearing, the kind of blanket she was wrapped up in, and the uh, sling that she was. How in. How did that happen? It sounds like someone didn't do the nappy properly. No, I think what it was, I think she shut herself and then was trying to let us know, and we didn't really realise, and so then pissed loads, spread it around, right, and it kind of came flying out, and um, kind of disgusting. Well, we had to then strip her down change her on the side of the road loads of cars are like country road loads of cars going past completely naked then we had to wrap her. we couldn't then carry her home because the sling was all soaked through so i had to wrap her up in my jacket my like tweed jacket i was in the countryside so i was wearing tweed of course yeah um my tweed jacket and carry a naked baby home for like a mile didn't you have a change of clothes yeah, but it was like the thinnest thing, oh, right? Like, and it was just, so that was a bit of an, we were basically, I wanted to take a photo of it and if I didn't think that Nat would have killed me. Right. Had I just kind of gone, oh, wait, wait, right. I just need to take a, a photo of this before I help you out here. It was fucking, I mean, yeah, it was. Well, um,
1: I tell you what, that, you're lucky because she's not really eating solids yet, is she? Obviously not. She's only. No, exactly. She's only three months. Three months. Yeah. So Eliza's like fully eating solids like three times a day now. Does and the I poo can, change like it's that? It's like, it's like, human human human
2: poo Ugh. i saw my mate change his kids and he's like nearly two and it was like yeah opened it up and went oh that's not a big one oh it's just a little one and it looked like the biggest shit i've ever done <laughs> like, literally it was and you've like, seen some big ones probably. well yes recently actually i don't know why but yeah um but honestly yeah i can i i was like how can you is when it's yellow and just like Mush, you're like, oh, whatever, and it doesn't smell. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's that stuff is all right. It's yeah, like just yeah. milk, isn't it? Basically? Oh, yeah, yeah. Rank. I think I, I see. I keep thinking oh, I've got this nappy thing changing It was like my biggest fear was like nappies, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Nappies are fine. I think when I get to the solid stage. So go on, say so what? So you had a bit of an incident with the
1: well, no, no particular incident. It's just like every time you have to change like the nappy, it's it's yeah, it's, human poo, you have to sort of hold your nose sort of away a bit. <laughs> But I suppose the saving grace, though, is that it tends to kind of keep in the same place. It doesn't yeah, kind of go spill out. It doesn't yeah. spill everywhere. Out, yeah. Much.
2: So yeah. She it. hasn't done many of those, to be honest with you. It's kind of just the odd couple of just kind of like being like explosions. But, um, but yeah, I think, we've, I think we've strayed into too much poo talk straight away. We have. We, what, what else is new then? Um, not, I mean, bits and bobs, really. Like we've had to get her passport photo done, which is ridiculous at like, you know... Just under three months. Like. We,
1: we had to do because we were taking uh, Eliza to New Zealand when yeah. she was three months. We actually got it done when she was six weeks. Right. What's the point? She's not going to look like that for like in. Well, like, I bet she doesn't look like that now. No. Well, you could probably just about tell. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's not like a very good. If she was a terrorist,
2: life. she'd get away with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They should think about this. <laughs> Baby but terrorists. there isn't
2: really, I can't think of
1: a, I suppose you could do like biometric kind mm. of. Ice game. Okay. Yeah, eye scans. They probably something.
2: thought this through, to be fair. Yeah. But what's new with you, anyway?
1: Uh, well, yeah, so aside from the the sort of, you know, the full-on eating, she's got a couple of
2: teeth coming through. So, yeah, when does teething start? Because someone said that they reckon Matty was teething, but that's too early, surely.
1: Um, we thought it was starting months ago, like mm. when she was five or six months, she started like getting sort of irritable in the evenings and having this sort of rash like on her chin and we were sure that's what it was and maybe it was Mm. but there was like no sign of teeth anywhere but then just the other day i noticed i looked in her mouth and there was these two little kind of like things just like yeah but they weren't fully like you you could easily not see it yeah but in the last few days they've just crept up Uh,
2: and has she changed is she like getting really like like is she in pain do you reckon uh, i you is
1: know what she's handled it remarkably well yeah yeah she hasn't been too bad in the night so
2: it's amazing the things you don't know like, i thought i would be clued up on at this stage but i have no idea when they start teething i have no I idea when they go to nursery big, right? i
1: mean for instance like we've got a friend who's um who's got a, a child who's uh, a little boy who's just a little bit younger than eliza and his he's had teeth for the last couple of months right so it, i think it it really does vary and some yeah. people don't like tea for the first time until like they're over one. Okay. So, yeah. We should probably get on in yeah. a second introduce our guests, but I just wanted to kind of make one last point because this is actually quite a big deal. We we started sending Eliza to the childminder for the first time.
2: Oh, right. This yeah. week. Okay.
1: Cuz I was on the shared uh, parental leave that I talked to a little bit about last time yeah, yeah. and it sort of ended Finally, yeah. Um, oh, you've been, you. I had a couple of weeks where it was basically just me and Eliza as, and, as the primary care. How parent. was that? It was like wonderful. Yeah. Like it was. I mean, it was. It was. T- it's not like easy. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. But it was like. I mean, I. I feel so much, sort of closer to her. Yeah. Like right. I know her. Who she is a lot more than I've did who before. Is she? Who is she? Well, she's like a baby of about yeah. nine months old. <laughs> Fair um, enough. That's a, yeah, that's probably she's got two little teeth, as yeah. we've discussed. Yeah, She's almost crawling. But yeah, I'd, I'd take her to the childminder for the first time. And leave her there. And leave her there. And how was that? Uh, it was, um, you know what, like the build-up to it, the, yeah. the, the sort of few days beforehand was quite kind of, I had this sort of sense of sort of impending sort of doom, yeah. uneasiness. But then the actual day of it was fine because okay. the, the childminder that we're sending her to is re- like a really, really lovely person. And she was like, Eliza was fine when we handed her over because she, she doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. I just sort of like dropped her off and was like, laters. And then, you- and then just, yeah. And then that was that. And I, and I was like, she, yeah, she's going to be fine. So you and, weren't she was. A,
2: and you weren't a blubbering mess.
1: <laughs> no, I wasn't. Okay. Well, oh, well done. Much, uh- yeah. Anyway. Anyway. anyway We've rambled about on us. Yeah. long enough. So I'm going to introduce our guest now, Jay. Who,
2: who, who is your
0: daddy and what does he do?
1: His name is Shawnee O'Kane. He is an expert in domestic violence and an award-winning fatherhood specialist. I'm not quite sure what that means. So Shawnee, sure can we'll find you out. explain that? I don't know what it means either.
3: <laughs> I'm still trying to work it all out. I was, uh, I, um, hello. Hello, brother. hello. How's hey, you yeah, we should start with hello. Thank you for yeah, joining cheers us for coming on. I'm not scrum, no bother. Yeah. Um, am I okay to start now? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I interrupted
1: you, but you. No, 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 no. no. To... I wanted you to. Well, you wanted I was also going to gonna say that your your other claim to fame is that you are a father, as <laughs> all of our guests so far have
2: been. Yeah. That's yeah.
3: yes, true. True story.
2: And also, like, I don't know, is it, is it a claim to fame that you mm. were uh ex contestant on Big Brother? That's a kind of fame, right?
3: In some ways, it's yeah. It wouldn't be the the top ten best things I've ever done, <laughs> but it's, it's well, for a lot of people, it would be. But yeah, but it's definitely up there. Okay. Uh, so I have got various accolades to my name in, in relation to fatherhood. So that particular one was from a charity called Passionate Pink, who I received outstanding. Uh, contribution to fatherhood. And I think it, was, it wasn't just because of my own personal experiences of being a dad. But it was also because of the clients that I worked with at the time, trying to help them improve their own fathering skills and also helping them be reconnected back into their children's lives that have been taken away from them by the mothers or social services or lots of, lots of different uh various issues as to why they'd been separated from their children so I'd worked for extensively to ensure that children were reconnected back to their into their dad's lives in some way so I think it was a uh, that that particular award was personally because of I guess my I think they used a bit of my public profile with fatherhood and also the work I do because I specialize in uh in working with young dads and men and boys and fathers and how did you get into that work that is a very good question I, I was on big brother as you know and um in what year was that that was oh a long time ago 2007 was okay. when, oh, wow. it, when it was still when it was like when i had uh, millions of millions of people watching yeah, yeah like back then and whilst on that show uh well i so i decided me and my well me and my dad's relationship wasn't great growing up or when i was growing up at least and um and uh, and I always thought, oh, you know, I'd love to really piss him off in a really big way. <laughs> and so I decided to come out on Big Brother, right. and not tell my dad in advance. I thought it would really wind him up. <laughs> And um, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I'd
2: wind, yeah, a lot of people up.
3: Yeah, the well I did wind a lot of people up. That's probably why I was kicked out in yeah. some ways. <laughs> oh, you were kicked out. Yeah, well, I was. I, I, I didn't win, so um, I had on Big Broadway, had the first gay. I had the first gay kiss the week I was up for eviction. And oh, I, yeah, right. Okay. And that rattled a lot of uh, cages, and particularly my dad's, because he mm. was like, "Well, he's not gay, so I don't know. why. He's obviously doing this for, <laughs> to, you know, just to be controversial. Because that's the kind of thing he does." Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I I, uh, yeah whilst I was on the show my dad told uh my, my family were hounded they had to leave their village in ireland it was so bad like they had reporters climbing in a kitchen window really Jesus that is God. how Like it sounds ridiculous because you think big brother but we're going back to like 12 11 years or something and when it was, it huge, was huge and there wasn't yeah, many yeah, Irish massive. people ever on big brother
2: then so going back to you you so were saying about back, yeah you were saying about how your, I end up in this work yeah
3: yeah so i knew i would come back to it yeah <laughs> and um so uh whilst on the show um
2: you said about your dad and that you yeah, came out Yeah, well, I was on the show, I
3: came out on the show, et cetera, et cetera. And my dad was, and I do we're being hounded by reporters. And um, uh, they asked, you know, can we have a you know quote about, you know, your son having his first gay kiss on Big Brother. And my dad was like, well, he's not gay. And they're like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, he's totally not gay. He hasn't even told me.
2: Because <laughs> uh, he'd be the first person you'd yeah, tell. Right? <laughs> yeah, of course.
3: And, uh, and uh, they were like, so... Uh, yeah, well, 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 oh my goodness! So he's deceived the whole of like Endemol and the, pub, the British public. I mean, I was like, oh, he just does these things for a laugh. <laughs> so literally, on the front page of the paper the next day was big. I still ha- remember the headline: "Big Brother Shawnee is a big fakey." Now, fakey is not a word. I don't think so. No, is it a no. word? No, it's not an actual word, is it? I've never yeah, looked at it. That's, that doesn't usually stuff. <laughs> of course. <Right>. And, <laughs> and so it was like, like, so the message boards, I remember going back and reading like message boards. Oh my goodness, he faked his sexuality. Like all oh, these people, have, they're really like real time discussions. They talked about it on Sunday morning TV shows on like one of those political television programs <laughs> about faking sexuality to progress or make it in the media
2: but you weren't faking it
3: no well yeah. no i wasn't fi- i wasn't thinking like, yeah, at yeah. that time i'd I come out as gay and i was uh you know and that's where i was in my life i, I wouldn't say i'm gay now mm. but that's where i was definitely then i mean uh and so uh and there's lots of guys that can vote for me um and so there's a so I me mean, i came out so then richard and judy decided to talk <laughs> talk about this so they had a big thing about you know uh you know you know faking your sexuality and how can you prove and richard madley was very involved in all this and he's like how can you prove it do we, you know how do you, can you how can you test people and stuff?" they were all there they they're having genuine discussions and then they say well so why I'm don't Partridge. why don't we you know, <laughs> so <Partridge. laughs> so, so what, it's so ridiculous and, i mean uh and so then they suggested well why don't we just uh, bring them on so wouldn't that be the most obvious thing? So then they brought they brought me on they said to bring on my dad because he was the one who said to the pair. <laughs> and my dad is so what's the best words to describe him? Simple, I would say, and uh, and traditionally Irish is probably another way of describing him. Anyway, yeah, so they wanted to also, I guess, discuss you know me and my dad's relationship and um, because me and my dad had never really uh, been that close, although yeah. he was very f- physically available. Growing up, he just wasn't emotionally available in many ways, and so they were quite fascinated about this kind of father-son relationship. And um, uh, that my dad said, you know, I really accept my son, Uh, and that was a big deal for my dad. They come on and say all this, and you know, and he was really supportive. And to go back to your question, he asked like. Last Thursday, <laughs> how did I end up getting into this work?
2: <laughs> Sorry, uh, I don't even know what you do anymore. Uh, so, what, what, well, what
3: well, them? well. We were whilst whilst on that show. Uh, after we did that show, we got lots of letters from the public to send us. It was lots of fathers and sons who'd sent uh, sent. I mean, we were so overwhelmed. In fact, they were still getting letters weeks and weeks after we'd done the, done that show. And uh, and it was fathers who'd written and to say that are they hadn't spoken to their sons or daughters for a long time because their sons' and daughters were gay and they watched the show and they it had changed their perspective and or Mm -hmm. sons uh had written in to say uh that you know um you've really helped me uh, you know understand why i haven't told my dad about my sexuality and and um and after watching your show i sat down with my dad and we watched the show together i mean the letters were and i just did not expect any of this it just was like the whole trajectory of of, of uh, you know where I was at that t- point so in my you, life d- had you didn't really
1: know what you were going to like do with your life I suppose at that point well at that point
3: I was, during that point I was writing for a, a newspaper so I was actually writing for a newspaper in Ireland which right. is something I always wanted to do so um, and it was uh, a newspaper, it was a broadsheet I was very familiar with in a media company and uh, so I was really enjoying it and um, so I, all these letters come in and I was just t- quite taken aback and I remember saying to my agent at the time I said Hey, I really want to I, w- I really want to do more of this. Mm. I really want to do something around fatherhood and 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 dads and, and kids and and he was like, Okay he goes and he was trying to I think in his head he was trying to work out how he can continue to make money out of me as my agent, <laughs> whilst let me pursue some kind of avenue around fatherhood, even though this guy has no kids himself, and and he was just trying to work it all out. And and it, in my kind of curious state at that time, I was sort of researching about companies that work with and fathers and, and kids and stuff. And it just it was two thousand eight, and it just wasn't any. It just it was such an it. Was like, it seems ludicrous now, but it was like an alien concept in 2008, the hung thing about fatherhood and, and dads. But I found an NGO in London who worked, specialized with young dads. And uh, not only did I find this information out, but also they were looking to bring on uh, someone or an ambassador to speak up about the relationship between dads and their kids. And I was like... I want to I be part of this organization. I want to meet this organization. And my agent was like, oh, so you want to like maybe do a talk for them and <laughs> raise their profile? I was like, no, no. I want to stop doing what I'm doing and I want to do this kind of work. He was like, you're insane. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. I'm saying I'm being completely serious. I'm really passionate about this. He goes, you don't have any fucking children. I go, I don't care. It's not the point. And I go, you just don't get it. Yeah. And that was the thing he just didn't get. It. And so... Uh, I contacted this organization, and they were very. Every single person in the organization was very aware of who I was. Because what was the organization called? Called Saint Michael's Fellowship. So, um, I uh, I applied for the role there, and so uh, I met the organization, and I interviewed, and they were just could not believe that this someone that they'd been watching on television had been like it was on the papers and stuff. Had just come for an interview for this organization. uh, and I got it and I was, uh, and I was there for eight years and completely, uh, and I started doing work with fathers before it was a real th- like thing Like yeah, I, yeah. I was g- literally given a blank canvas saying, you know, this is the only organization, this is actually the only organization, the main organization, in the whole of the country at that time that was doing work with dads and young dad so i specialized that's crazy really isn't it i specialized in dads between age 14 to 25 so that was my that was where i spent eight eight nine years actually developing the fatherhood work there and so
1: what kind of work did you sort of do on a sort of daily basis
3: um so i would well i would i would i would uh, have cases referred to me right. so i would come in the morning i would get a, a referral would come in from the police or social services or it'd be a self-referral and it'd be a particular dad expectant dad maybe a certain age and, and then what i my my role was to connect with that person yep. to uh bas- be like a
2: father like a father figure well, or well, like kind well of like-
3: basically ensure that a kind of a different I'd encompassing a lot of different things practitioner uh mentor and you know we weren't a place we weren't social services but i was uh kind of but I, I know i did a lot of work around um a child attachment child development my master's was it was in um child and family into professional psychology practice so i did a lot so i knew a lot of things around. And had you do,
2: did you do this before so you- my, no
3: so my my master's i did it during whilst i was working right so i did master what i was working for the organization uh and prior to my master's i was I just was very uh, i did a lot of training around attachment and child protection and and um uh and so i was quite I'm quite good at uh, really connecting with the clients early on in a way whereby where they've had lots of distrust towards services and practitioners.
1: I was going to ask you if there's a, if there's like a, like one example that really sort of sticks with you that, that you really
3: <sighs> so many like I've really seen like any any kind of present issue affecting a dad like when it when it comes to parenting. I've I've literally been right knee deep in it. I, I've experienced many issues regarding paternal discrepancy or misattributed paternity. I don't know if you know what that. Now. What's that now? Um, There'll be times I'd be working with a client, and he okay. I'll t- one one client. I'll talk. Uh, I was working with a client who was 19 years of age. He was at university in uh, Bedford, and um, I was working with him to prepare him for for fatherhood. He was he's making certain life choices and he didn't really he scared shitless couldn't tell his parents and you know uh
1: so was this um, a situation where he was at a situation
3: he was in and he and i and my colleagues were working with the mother they're working with the mum, and i'm working with the dad or at least one of my colleagues are and i'm working with him to try and help him get his life in order in preparation for being a dad so that you know when this baby comes you know, you feel ready and engaged. So Berlin. it's not
2: so sorry, so it's not just, you know, dad to, like you know, people who are already dads and have trouble seeing their kids or anything like that. It's all it was all manner of Oh yeah, learning. of course.
3: It's everything. Mm. It could be a dad might call me up because he doesn't understand why breastfeeding's important. Right, okay. So or, this
1: particular person like self-refers.
3: So no, this particular person came through because we were working with the mother. Right, okay. And so that happens a lot. We'd work with the mums and they would say uh, like you'd you'd go into work every day and would kind of be like you know sort of, you could almost have like you hear the theme music you'd walk in but like you get the referral and you see <laughs> right, who's who's the dad who's <laughs> a, you get the profile and you know and I'm assigned to him and I'm gonna like. I want to make sure he's the best dad I can it can possibly be. And that's my role. And, you know. And what would I your
2: theme theme music sound like? Oh,
3: goodness. It would be uh, oh, It would probably something really, like the Benny Hill or something really, something, you I was so jolly and happy. Like, I was like, you know, I just love doing that. I
2: love the work. And uh, So sorry, yeah, you were talking about this this guy that you were, you, this and 19 so this guy,
3: and so, Yeah, and so, you know, good. Go back to uh, your question. Is you know, but one story I really, really um, I recall that really stayed with me was you know this guy was nineteen and he uh, wanted uh, some support around being a dad, and we're working with a mum, and that's all good, and he's making some really big life changes, such as dropping out of university, and his parents had wanted him to go to university, this particular university, and we were so proud of him. He was the first first person in the family to ever go to uni, and. You know, as he's dropping out and I, it's a big deal, but he's so committed. They want to be a dad to this kid. And whilst I'm working with him, I get, you know, my, one of my, my colleagues says, Hey, Sean, you know, can I have a word with you? I go, Yeah, of course. And she goes, Yeah, the mom has made a disclosure that he's not the real dad. Oh. And I was like, Right. And I go, Are we sure? She goes, Yes. So, and I've experienced. Since that was this is the first time, but I've experienced that on numerous occasions. Afterwards. And that's parental
2: discrepancy.
3: Yeah, and that's right. called parental discrepancy. There's right. mis- misattributed paternity is another word for it. And um, so I, I said, okay, we need to we need to let's, let's meet up and let's discuss what how we move forward here. So we discuss various options, and the you know. I I had all these ethical dilemmas being at that point. I was a dad already. So I I became a dad in 2009.
2: Yeah. We should talk about that. Let's talk about this after. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. So
3: I was already a dad. So I I already had the kind of fatherhood stuff going on and being a man. and, And not only that, knowing that, wow, this I'm helping this guy make all these life decisions. I'm, you know, basically an accomplice, and <laughs> and you know the trajectory of his life. But also, not only that, there's another person out there that is the father, yeah, and that's and he's being denied. And so I all these internal issues, and and you know, we had decided that the best approach would be to encourage the, the expectant mom to tell him. Mm. That is the best approach because, you know, you know, we we can, we we I couldn't play God in that instance. I also know that. When you know you're becoming a dad, and for many of my clients at least, it's the one instigating factor or a catalyst for change. Yeah. And that, you know, many dads will stop smoking because they're about to become a dad or they'll drink less or they'll want to get fit or or something about an element of their their, their personal life or that they want to change because they're becoming a dad. And that um, maybe this experience this young man who believed he was an expectant dad might have known that he wasn't the actual dad. Mm. And he, for all I know, might've just wanted to be a dad. It might've given him a sense of purpose. It might've given him a real responsibility. But then there's other aspects of fatherhood I know that exists, and we forget what that what that's like. That This person's, this 15-year-old kid's experience of being a dad, like me, universally, we've got this concept that you know of what fatherhood is and we're both dads but your life as a dad is so different to mine and and um and and then you think well well, because it's so different and it's might it's it, it's less enriched how does that impact upon the way you you parent your child and and um and, and out of all the you know out of all the followers that I've ever worked with her, uh professionally you know despite the issues that are presented to me whether it could be the Domestic violence, or or, or uh, uh, gang crime, or um, you know different substance use. So one thing that is very apparent is that you know all these men really love their children. You know, my master's study was looking at how maternity services engage um, young expectant men to ensure that they're better uh, involved fathers, and. Across the board, with middle free staff and, and social workers, and uh, particularly then uh, when I was doing that work, uh, there was this mostly with local authorities. There was this kind of census that you know, particularly with the child protection cases that dads uh, were very much the, you know the you know the, the children on the child protection cases because of the dad's behaviour and harm. And uh, and in many cases, dads are often seen as a problem and, you know, and therefore they're not included in child protection meetings for whatever reason. But I really believe that if you work with dads, despite what the issues are, they can be the solution. If you really give them the tools and you listen to them and find it, well, why do you think he is behaving in this way? It's it's okay. You can label him as being a monster or being whatever, but actually, let's try and instead of instead of you know constantly um, uh, labeling him as, as 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 the issue and the problem, let's focus on that and see what can we do to ensure that he gets the right support and mechanisms so that he st- stops harming his partner in a way that it is. I don't know what your experiences are, probably very different to say uh, a young 17-year-old black guy in Brixton whenever I they, imagine so, right, yeah. when I turn up at a children's center and they're asked, you know, are they lost or you know, oh well, where's where's mum or yeah. you know um, you know dads who don't have their kids Maybe that weekend, but when I go to a children's centre to check it out for the time they do have their kids, and they turn up and they don't have a kid, and it's like, whoa, this is all really shady. Why is this guy turning up and he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a kid? And like, you know the way that the stereotypes of young dads, when they like, you know, I I remember dads, you know, I've worked with, you know, they were they were so afraid of pushing a buggy, it
2: right. was
3: because they'd never ever pushed a buggy before, and right. they're suddenly gone from you know. Being on road in Brixton to now pushing buggies, with you know going so from being my no boys. Of being seen by- yeah, all of this you know. I I I did a campaign a number of years ago uh, called the Hundred Dads Walk, and we got the idea was to um, represent dads walking into their children's lives as opposed to walking away from them. So we got uh, you know a hundred dads with buggies, and and we did it outside the uh, Brixton Library. We did it for three years in a row, and uh, uh, and it was just a really it's a real powerful message that you know dad's coming and push bogey it's fine it's cool it's yeah, fine right. you know and it, but like it's but it sounds ludicrous but when you are that age and you're a kid becoming a a, a parent and you're where well, your dad isn't around and you suddenly have to take on this whole responsibility of being a, a, a dad
1: i can't really like comprehend how difficult it it must be if you're like basically a child yourself and mm. you have to mm. be a a parent too, mm.
3: but that's and that's why I tell people all the time, and my, my friends and stuff. You know, we talk, they talk about fatherhood all the time, and I said, well, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But imagine if you were like, imagine if you were fifteen, imagine if you were seventeen, imagine you'd just come out of prison, imagine if you were in prison.
1: Okay, that's the end of part one. More after this.
2: So tell us a little bit of your setup okay. of your of your your family isn't exactly the right. most sort of traditional yeah, nuclear be, family. Some is people
3: it? probably we'll have had every kind of word under the sun, but unorthodox is a word that we have uh, yeah, had. Yeah, okay. So where I am at now is uh, I. So I've since come out of a three-year relationship with my ex-partner, and she was Egyptian Arab. So I've, I was with her for three years, and um, so that's where we come back to sexuality. So I'd kind of fluctuated in and out, shake it all about. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was with her for, for three years, and we we recently broke up, and um, uh, so it gets very confusing when people see it's you know so I've seen pictures of us and they assume that she's a mother of my child, and, right? And she's Egyptian. And my son's black, as Zimbabwean, half Irish. So we can imagine, like, in fact, actually, every time we're in public and like that we see another white man with a black child. It's like a big deal. My son, like, loses his shit. He's like, <laughs> oh, my God, look, there's another one, Dad. So do you want to know how this
2: all happened? Definitely.
3: Absolutely. How uh, how strong are your stomachs?
2: Yeah, okay. I've, I've, I'm on a full stomach, so I think uh, I'm okay. Okay, it's fine. I'm all right, I'm all right. Okay, I'll sure. take it.
3: So um, a number of years ago, pre-Big Brawler, pre-coming out, I was sitting with my then-girlfriend watching the TV, I was very young, my early 20s, and there was a show on about people who couldn't have children of their own, and I am very sensitive to, I would say, women's pain, it's probably the best way to describe it, and and, uh, you know, there's lots of testimonies on the show, a BBC program, about heterosexual women and heterosexual couples and single women and lesbians. And basically, it was all these people who just wanted to be parents, and they couldn't be for lots of different mm. reasons. And I was really taken aback. And I was like, wow. And I had my Messiah moment like i could give someone the gift of life <laughs> let me help them and that she, and i was like oh my at the end of the show it said you can um you know put yourself forward to be considered the first sperm donor or a co-parent and i said to my girlfriend this is amazing i can do this and She was like no you're bar me this is not amazing <laughs> you're a kid no one's going to want a kid so i was oh it was tw- two thousand and six So it would have been about 25 24 and so i uh said no no it's great and, and i really and sometimes when i get in my head i'm going to do something i really want to do it and that was a friday night and the next day i put up a profile and uh i put up lots of really suspect pictures like <laughs> you know me outside next to like like, like a flowery field and just really silly pictures and all. And i looked look very whimsical and magical and, <laughs> you know, and, and so I imagine that, you know, anyone seen it was like, oh, God. You know, he looks like a lot. Uh, Definitely <laughs> you
2: know, dad material. Like,
3: so it was, it was a complete opposite of dad material in every, every way, shape and form. And, and I what I didn't realize is that this show went out online. So on a Tuesday when I went to check my emails, there was – just so many responses, and uh, there was a woman—a woman from Canada, right? Had, had had actually offered to come over to Canada and try to make a baby. And I was thinking, how short is uh, is the sperm supply in Canada? It's bizarre, <laughs> and it was completely. I was I was a bit overwhelmed by it all, and but one of the the the, the email responses that I seen and was from a Zimbabwean lesbian couple. Uh, And one was a nurse and one was a sign language teacher. And I really like those qualities. It seemed very humanistic and lovely. And I just really, really liked these two. And they just really stood out. And we spoke for a little bit back and forth. Back
2: were, they, and forth. were they living in Zimbabwe they at the were, time? No, no.
3: They were, that's right. A lot of people asked. Sorry, I should make it clear. They were living in, uh, in Essex. Okay, so very different. <laughs> so well, yeah, A lot of people always assume that. And so they said, listen, yeah, it's great you're in London now. Why don't we have a test? Why don't we have a practice go? And I was like, okay I'd, I'd literally been in the country for like a couple of weeks uh and that's not true it's probably a couple of months i would say and i said hey listen okay let's do it what does that involve i mean and i was thinking like do i sleep with both of them <laughs> do i sleep with one and the other one watches <laughs> like do i like like have to do f- i buy them dinner th- first yeah. works like do i like f- f- freeze my sperm and give and ice cubes and give one to her and one to her. And I don't know I was like, you know, they were really vague about like logistics. And, um, I just like, I was, my heart was saying, oh, you have to help these women. Uh, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And they said, they go, and, and they said 80% of the time it's not going to work. In my head, I heard that we have to do it at least 80 times <laughs> before it will work. That, that was, was your logic. That was, that's what I heard. It's like, I was like, oh, it's fine. So even if it doesn't work the first time then, and we don't get on, then like looking back now, we should have at least met up and chilled out and did all their stuff, played crazy <laughs> golf. Go for a drink or something. Yeah. Or, you know, and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, there was no, and people say, you know, but was there any legal agreement or did you, you know, did you, we not clear, but what it was you wanted. And, and I said, well, you know, you know the song all oh, that she Want is another baby what was that, that is them that's ace all they, yep yep they were the the zimbabwean ace of bass and that was where they, they really had their sights set <laughs> on having this you know this, this this child and and i was just like yeah let's just do it and sure you know i'll be involved and and they were like oh well we'll talk about it later on and all that it was all quite like vague and you know And they said, we're going to come round and uh, we're going to just do this practice, go and we'll see how it goes. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And they said, yeah, could you just have everything ready for us? I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's not a problem. That's easy. Uh, And I go, right, okay. And so it was a, I'll never forget, it was a Friday evening in October. And yeah, I was waiting for them to come round. And I lived with a guy called Ursino, who was a sommelier at the time at Hakkasan. He's a really cool guy. And he wasn't around. It was just I was in the house myself, and and I uh, well, I can't really romanticise this, but I shot into um, a polystyrene cup, and um, I uh, was really pleased with myself. <laughs> And uh, I was like, yeah, they're really going to love this. Uh, I was like, should I wrap it up? I don't know. <laughs> the like, what do you do? What do? do? <laughs> what do, do? Like a gift tag. And, uh, and then whilst it was in the cup, they said, oh, we're caught in traffic. We're going to be late. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I wish I could had a camera watching me at that time. Because in my state, I started to panic because I assumed that... When the sperm gets exposed to air, it starts to die. So I, so I turn the oven on on a low heat, <laughs> and I put it in the oven because I, assu- I assume the fridge. No, because it, my balls are warm. So why, <laughs> why would I? My friends have said, why didn't you put it in the freezer? Like, because it's just come from a warm place. Why would I want, unless say, I was like, <laughs> you know, like a snow monster or something? I mean, why would I want to put it in the freezer? And also, it's quite unhygienic.
2: Right. So the, the oven, oven is completely, completely sterile,
3: <laughs> and so I uh, I put it in the oven on a low heat, and it was in there for about 30 to 40 minutes. And when <laughs> when they, <laughs> when it <they> came round, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I just I just it was like another person now. When I look at me then, no, it's just like two different people. And um, when I pulled it, out, it all kind of decrepit. It was all crumpled <laughs> up, but the sperm was like intact and it was still moving around. And, and they were just happy because they just wanted sperm, you know, so they were like, yeah, it's great, give us all sperm, give us all your sperm. <laughs> uh, and then they, I was like, okay, so I like turned one of you upside down and poured in, how does it work? <laughs> uh, like, I, this, we're really clear and there was nothing really on, like, got, you,
2: pff, can't you can't pff, Google, Google that, can, can you? Turkey yeah,
3: baster, well, Yeah, well, they'd bought a home insemination kit and, because um, ah, uh, they'd come prepared. Yeah, of course, because it's all that they want is another <laughs> baby, so they knew exactly what they wanted, And so, They were like, okay, so where's your room? And I was like, it's in here. And I was like, I mean, what? Do I I watch? Do I have to instruct? And they're like, oh, no, no, you can just wait outside. I was like, okay, sure. And they're like, yeah. And I go, okay. So they went in the room. I didn't even know which one of them was like, going to, I thought maybe they were going to half it. She was going to have (laughs) them. She was going to have half it. They weren't really, I hadn't really talked (laughs) it over. And so, um and then, so I just waited, and they came out of my room like half an hour later, and they were like, "Okay, well, thank you." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." They're like, "Okay, well, see you later."
2: You don't want to stay for some like no,
3: there's not. And they didn't want. Anything anything. want that. I had elderflower champagne and all there, and they were not, they didn't want anything. So they left, and then I was, it, so I was like, "Okay, so I have, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with the boys tonight." So I went out with all the lads, and we were all drinking all night, and they were like, "Give me those of stick," <laughs> and uh, and once we were out, I was getting hammered. And I get a text message from the, who would then be the non-biological mom. And she said, hey, you know, thank you for your sperm today. Um, I never got that text ever before. I got it that (laughs) night, I've never got it since. And she's like, oh, you know, it was really kind of you. And I was like, oh, thanks. I I think
2: every, sorry, I think every, like, one night stand should finish with that text. Thank you for your sperm sperm today.
3: today. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you know, but did you know that, you know, our cyrofoam kills sperm? And I'd be like, well, no, I fucking didn't go to sperm school. How would I know that? But you're saying the oven doesn't. (laughs) And she said, you know, we've just read up on it and uh, we'll come round tomorrow for some more. And I was like, oh, well, like when tomorrow? It's like early. It's like fuck. Okay, I said, boys. You've I'm had going, a few drinks, basically. Like, I have yeah. to go. I have to go, because the lesbians are coming for sperm tomorrow. <laughs> the lesbians are coming. And they come back and for, they're taking for, my, I mean, my, sperm. my sperm. And they were like, and, they were, and so I was like, I have to go. I have to go. I can't stay out any longer. And so my mates were like, okay, go home, piss off. So I went home, to bed. woke up the next day, and my housemate at the time had broken up with his girlfriend that week so he was already in a really pissed off mood and he was out playing football and the saturday morning it was lashing the rain and you know you've all been in a situation before where you're trying to have a wank and you can't and you're sl- and it's not getting up for whatever reason and you're you're, you're, you're slapping you're, you're, sl- <laughs> you're slapping it about or you know any kind of sex activity and it's just like well i was really under pressure and just would not just could not rise to the occasion and like, you know, how many times have you had a group of lesbians come around to your house for your sperm and you had... A all the funeral? time for me. Yeah, any
2: couple of times. Yeah, yeah, no, it happens all the time. To- I can't keep so it I, away. I was,
3: re- I was really under pressure and um, I just could not give it up. And I was like slapping it and talking to it and I played like power ballads. Okay. <laughs> and, like nothing was working. Serving so caviar. You know, <laughs> <the>
1: elderflower <laughs> champagne. <fantastic. laughs>
3: <laughs> Something, none of it. And so I think it was must have just been really hungover. And so I... Um, I was really panicking, and the panicking was making it worse. And I was like, "Oh my god, they're not going to want. They have a kid with someone who can't even get it up." <laughs> so, um, uh, and during this madness, my housemate Ursino comes home, completely drenched, covered in mud. He's, uh, I don't know if he'll ever hear this story. He will kill me for this, but um, he's covered in mud, and he's like, "I'm like, are you okay?" He goes, are "You okay?" And I go, "Oh yeah, but." The, uh, African lesbians are coming around and they want my sperm. In it. I can't get it up and i just really distressed. And he goes, "Oh my goodness!" I go, "I go, I go." I go are you okay? He goes, "Well, oh, we lost." I go, oh, "It sounds awful." He goes, "Is there anything I can do to help?" And I said, "Well," I go, it's going to sounds really silly, but could you like, give me some sperm?" <laughs> Because like this is just a practice go, and it's not gonna like not gonna get pregnant. So like it's just a practice go, and that's gonna be really like, humiliating if they come around. I can't even give money. And he was like, "Of course, that's fine. It's not a problem." I said, "Well, but don't put it in the polystyrene cup because I kill sperm." <laughs> 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 and so I give him cut off a bottom of a plastic bottle. He had one, and I had one. I went into my room and tried to calm down and uh, read Reader's Digest or Tatler magazine or something. <laughs> I just kind of take t- t- my mind off it. And by the time I come around, I was able to perform. It was all right. It was all good. Everything was fine. And they came to the house and I give them my man juice. And but it was your That
2: was, it was your. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, it was mine. God. But as I
3: did that, he came out of his room with his sperm. <laughs> and he give his sperm to them and I give them mine. And they were like, oh, Thanks. And he was like, right, well, I'm out, so see you later on. <laughs> I was like, all right, bro, see you later on. And, uh, and then he went into my room, and this is, I swear to God, this is a true story. Everything I'm telling you in this is absolutely true, and I remember every single second of it. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what they were wearing. And they came out again half an hour later, and they were like, okay, well, thank you, and see you later. And I was like, okay, bye. And that was it, and then they left. And I was like, okay, well, I've decided I don't want to do this again. (laughs) Um, I'm glad we had the practice sessions, but this isn't really for me. And it was all good. And I didn't hear from them until 14 days later, 14 days, 14, to tell me that they were pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, that is great. Who is the dad? (laughs) Because it can't be me. Because like, does it not take like a couple of months? Or something. I was just, you know, it was like, not 14 days. It seems like, a, I thought it was like a month at least. And, and I was like, okay. And she was like, yeah, we're really excited. And this is great news. And I was in my head, I'd already prepared for myself. Well, we're never ever going to have a kid together because it just not not going to work. And so I went back and I didn't know how to, I was so taken aback. I didn't know like how had broached. The conversation about, well, well, who's, who's, what, what? And so me, I told my friend, and he just lost his shit. And he was, (laughs) and for like days and days, me and him were like, he he was a state he couldn't do his work properly we were trying to work out like what if it comes out with like your chin and my like hands or <laughs> like your feet like my hair and we've got like this the hybrid child of both he's venezuelan with a square jaw <laughs> and i was like what's it going to look like and he was obviously we didn't pay attention to biology at school anyway so these days went on and all this and i decided to say like it's not you know do you know that whenever I give you, like, when you took my friend's sperm, they're like, oh, about that. It's like, that was so nice of him, but we threw it in the bin. <laughs> so I could have, ju- that was, We had remember days of torture. I'll never forget that was really distressing. That well, was well, that would have
2: been, that would have been one of your more uncommon parental discrepancy <laughs> cases, <laughs> right, wouldn't it? Actually? Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: yes, it was a very, very unorthodox was it parental a or
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, you know i'm not going to bore you so much with the complexities of of uh my role as a father during the pregnancy because it all it's i'd say being a dad has definitely been the most difficult thing i've ever ever had to endure maybe i'll change that being a father in the way that i um my journey has has led itself is that, that has been very difficult and i think it's because me and the mom are so different in many ways yeah. and uh, we didn't really know each other and uh there's been times where it's been really really challenging where you know we've considered going down a legal route and and despite all of that we always seem to get fruit and um you know the reality is is that they wanted a child f- rightly so for themselves to parent and for me to send a card on the child's 18th birthday for example and and i was just like well no i kind of want to be involved, and. Uh, you Know in some capacity, and they were like, Well, that's not what we that's not our intention. I go, Well, we weren't really clear, and, and yeah, I, you I mean, think that would be something that you yeah, can talk about? Yeah, you know, lots first, of stuff. Right? A lot, yeah, there was, and I, yeah, there was, uh, you know, what in hindsight, yes, lots of things would be different. And I, and you know, I, I stopped now. I've had a, from my own mental health stopped thinking about those things a long, long time ago, you know, and uh, so during the pregnancy, I remember, um, they'd moved, they moved up to uh, the back hours of nowhere in a in Mottram in Manchester and um an hour away from Manchester. And I, I felt they'd move because they didn't want me to be around and they were mm-hmm. you know heterosexual couples don't have to take on a third parent, so why do you yeah. homosexual couples? But because of the laws of science. Um you know it takes a, a male to make a child and so uh and I'm a big advocate in having a, a dad around. And so, I just felt like, wow, they have had a child with the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> they've They've had a child with a man who works to get fathers. Yeah, involved sure. With they, they, they've really drawn the short straw here. That whole mythical fantasy of the Irish leprechaun thing that they ordered has completely gone out the window now because they just didn't realise they, who they were having a child with. And I think they were naive in that part. And and so, you know, when they moved away and they, they wouldn't communicate so much and they did tell me about the scans that was happening and, you know and one of them let slip of when it was happening i turned up i turned up i went up to the scan on that day and they nearly dropped dead i was there and they were like oh my goodness it's so much easier to get rid of genital warts than this guy he's just like (laughs) he just keeps just every just you know he's he just just won't leave us alone you know my my son's half you know he's black and he's irish and you know i actually have Two moms as well. So uh, my I've got a non biological mom who's uh, native Cape Tonian and her husband is Indian, and they've got three kids. So you're like my brothers and sisters. They're Indian Muslim, half black, and so my, my brothers are married Japanese girls. So my son is. My, you can imagine my son is is got this whole like wealth of culture and and ethnic backgrounds, and he travels the world a lot because we're all we all. L- love in different places and and so he is totally worldly and unfazed and just so like progressive for his age and and he just totally gets it he doesn't misbehave very much I must say he's a very good kid and everyone he's ever met my son will always say the same thing oh, he's very polite that's the one where he's so polite. You know, he, he, he you know, he's he always, he asked me if I'm okay or how's my day and blah blah. If we get off the bus, he'll always thank the bus driver. He's <laughs> that right? he's that kind of kid, right?
2: Does he get that from you? Yeah. Uh,
3: probably but i don't because i'm not aware of myself sometimes i'm like oh wow he's just you know i love the way he's like that because i always think he's totally not like me in many ways in fact i actually sometimes like you know we are how are you my son we are not alike and Maybe not it to was my friend mates <laughs> yeah I mean, it was no if you've seen my son he's exactly he's like a black version of me it's just it's scary and so you know he's you know when he's really badly behaved i'll say to him you know excuse me koozie my son's called Kuziva Aiden. Um, that's the thing when Irish people have kids with Africans. You don't warn you in advance, but they have a million names. And he's got so many names; he has a separate page on his passport for his names. it's ridiculous. <laughs> like Kuziva Aiden, blah blah, Ladysmith Black Mambazo. I don't know all these big long names. And so I said, "You know, Kuzi, excuse me, son. I go, Where did you used to live?" And then he would roll his eyes and say, "Oh." In your balls. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
3: I'll say, exactly. Do you want to go back in there? And he's like, no. I'm like, right, okay, we stop it. And that's the one <laughs> I always get him to like, because no one wants to go back into their dad's <laughs> no. balls.
2: And what, and what is it? Do you see him? Is it like a weekend thing? Do you see him like every so weekend?
3: So I, um, I get him every other weekend. Uh, in fact, I'm getting him this weekend. But I also get him, it's supposed to be every other weekend. Sometimes it's three weekends, sometimes it's one weekend. Um, I had him for three weeks over the summer. I'm gonna get him for two weeks in October for half term. I don't get him for Christmas this year because his mom's having. Listen, no one will ever know, unless they actually do it, but uh, no one that I've ever, I've, I've ever spoken to for all the years of me and dad, what it's like to parent a child halfway across the country. And I've been doing that for almost nine years because I've been running up every other weekend since the pregnancy, almost uh, during that period. And that has really like impacted upon my mental health in so many ways. Like I have no consistency because like the times I'd, when I was working for a company, I left the, my holidays would always be, I'd take off Fridays to go up to see my son. So I'd never have any holidays because it would be all like the amount of money I've given Richard Branson just to be in the same room as my son is insane. Like I can't even properly save for him because I'm, Constantly spending money on travel just to be just to see him, it is nuts.
2: And they're still putting out. They're still putting the prices up. Even hats though they they again, Richard you know Branson's I mean? listening to this, he could refund you some of that money. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> yeah. she'll give you a loyalty card or yeah, something. Yeah, pro-
3: pro- probably. Well, I, I mean, it's it's uh, uh,
2: May like, well. Hat, I mean, hats off to you. That's. I mean, that's dedication and yeah, and it's half, it's, you know it's I mean?
3: really it's so hard. I tried to work out all the hours I've spent literally just traveling to see my son. Over the past like eight years, and like you know how much time like I could have been spent actually with him.
2: We've talked about what you used to do, you know, um, where you used to work and uh, at the St Michael's Fellowship. But tell us about what you started your own practice called Think Fathers.
3: Yeah, so um, I found that during my time at St Michael's, a specialist uh, fatherhood practitioner there, uh, that. I was working more and more with DV cases, but they're they're just DV domestic cases, violence. domestic violence. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. um, there just wasn't uh, like many perpetrator programs that existed, particularly in Lambeth. There just wasn't many programs to help rehabilitate the men. So, and what usually happened, I found, is that like local authorities would kind of again come back to the point I made earlier about men perpetrators and men being the problem, that they would just kind of fall to the wayside or they'll end up in the criminal justice system and, that, and that'll be, that's, that's, that's sorted. But it's, it's not sorted and the problem never, and that doesn't rehabilitate them and then it's this vicious cycle. And what I tried to do in my work was, you know, end that cycle. I worked with some uh, fathers who were first, second, third generation of not never working uh, or had been in, fathers have been in prison. Or whatever, and my aim was to break that cycle. I wanted to stop that in its paths. I wanted, everything I could, to make sure that they were given the right skills and resources and tools to have a different life. And so, I one of the reasons why I started I started think fathers was purely because I felt there was a gap whereby um, the perpetrator programs that, that not many existed, and the ones that did very much worked with men in groups. And I found from my experience, when you work with a person in a group environment, particularly when it's about really sensitive issues like domestic violence, um, they're less likely to open up about what they've done because of shame and guilt and, and lots of different reasons. And, and I'm quite skilled at working in a very, very therapeutic way with individuals in a one-to-one environment. And so... Think fathers has various elements, you know, the, the the essentially it's think fathers, think men, think boys, and it's really giving men and voice, men, boys, fathers, voices, and, and giving them abilities to change behaviours if needed. And also they celebrate being a man and being a boy and being a father and all the good things that comes with that. Uh, and, and how that really uh, impacts positively upon uh, their children's lives and, 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 uh, and partners and families. Uh, and also I work in partnership with local authorities and, and the, the partners, they see if they've noticed that the changes are happening.
1: How, how sort of successful is that, do you find? Well,
3: I have 100% success rate so far with the clients I've worked with. What do you deem what
2: do you deem as a success?
3: Uh when they do not continue to re offend really? for using harmful behaviour.
2: So I just sort of um
1: I I don't expect that anyone who listens to this will have this opinion, but I know that there are probably people out there who, you know, just playing devil's advocate who who might say, you know, like why spend time like sort of rehabilitating these people? Like do they do they really deserve it? But it sounds like you know, it's more—it's well, largely about like the the kids, really, and like, yeah, making sure. Yeah,
3: that- yeah. I mean, that's a it's interesting point. I mean, I, I I think I said something earlier about that with all the dads I work with, that I can recall the one thing that they have in common is that they love their children, and so uh, when I put, it's very and it, sometimes it's very difficult initially for the dads to grasp why, you know why they're in the wrong or accepting responsibility for their actions. And, 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 but what I do is I really put the children at the forefront of all their decision making. And actually it, they feel the impact of the harm, even if it's not directed at them, it's directed at the mum. And when I make them understand that if you shout at the mother or the partner, uh, you know, in an evening time when they 're in bed and they can 't hear it or when, even when they're not around it 's getting them to understand that how her behavior has been altered or affected and how that impacts upon her parenting whereby the children are actually being neglected because of his harm mm. and getting them to see that Actually, I love my child, and I didn't realize I'm hurting my child by my behavior. Getting them to grasp that because they love their children, they don't want to harm their children, and the the penny drops. That's when we move into a different we the 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 therapy kind of moves into a different area. The even when a father has been a perpetrator or has harmed the partner, but is willing to change, I still think he's a really positive factor on that child's life. Yeah. I think once it you know uh, from my experience of removing the dad and child in any way is uh, it's as damaging as domestic violence as itself within a relationship so
1: jamie i noticed you've got a few boxes over there yeah besides you yeah um brightly colored packaging it's quite interesting and there's some like egg shape thing yeah like what what can you explain what
2: you well this is this is um this is dad tech Okay, so here we have two things. I'll start with the egg-shaped thing that you you spoke about. This is the Grow Egg, uh, the Grow Egg 2 by the Grow Company. Right. Um, have you seen one of these before? I haven't. So basically, I've got it here, as you can see. Yeah. And at the moment, it's uh, growing red. And basically, what it is, it's a thermometer and a nightlight, which goes in your child's room. And um, what the Grow Company have done, in conjunction with the Lullaby Trust, which is a... Um, uh, a Safer Sleep for Babies charity. It researches uh, the prevention of SIDS, which is... Um, oh, sudden infant yeah.
3: death syndrome. There you go. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, and basically what it does, it, it uh, tells you, you see the readout here on the egg. It's quite a nice design. It's saying it's 27 degrees in here at the moment and it's glowing red. Now, if it got cooler, it would drop down to um, an orange light and then further... Past that, if it got to sort of 20 degrees, it would go to yellow. And if it got to 16 degrees, below 60 degrees, it would go blue. And basically, the idea is that you can have a quick look into your child's bedroom or your baby's bedroom. And with just one look, see if it's too hot or if it's about the right temperature for your baby or too cold. So blue would be too cold. I know
1: if I'm hot as balls.
2: Yeah, exactly. So for you, you know. A baby doesn't know. And you don't know necessarily if you're putting the right clothing on your baby, like the right tog, you know... uh, grow bag which is by the same company the grow bag the original grow bag by the same company
3: i mean how did caveman survive i know so, right was, that's how did, I know. how did
2: they get through parenting well this is what and, my this is what my fiance <laughs> nat always says she's always like there are tribes in the amazon <laughs> who have not met like other human civilizations and, and their fine. babies are fine, fine. But still, come on, look, We we have the technology, we might as well course, use
3: it. Like. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I really, I know the by Trust. I know some people working a
2: by Trust. Uh, so they're working with the cl- company yeah, to uh, kind of produce these products. Yeah. And I think it's really good. Anyway, this sells for uh, 29.99 in all your major retailers. Um, and I'll move on to the second thing by the Grow Company as well. This is the Grow Clock. This is spelt G-R-O. They're both G-R-O without a W. And this basically is to help sleep train, well, I guess sleep train your kids. You set it and there's no time on it. There's no sort of actual digital clock on it. There can be, but you can turn it off. And basically you set the time you want your kids to wake up, whether okay. from a nap or from a sleep. And the sun that's on the display, the yellow sun on the display, will turn blue into a blue nighttime star. And it'll be surrounded by lots of uh, little stars. And through the time that you've you know, set, say you set it for like 7.30 in the morning. Right. And that's the time you want your child to wake up yep. uh, for school or whatever. Um, the stars will start disappearing. Mm. And then your child will know that when the last star disappears... Mm that's time to wake up and the blue star will now turn into yellow sun and it blinks and it kind of winks at you and it kind of goes eh, you know time to wake up right so basically no matter what time you set it for so you could then at the weekend kind of go oh, i want a bit of a lion so i'm going to set it for 9 30 this morning yeah your kids will still know that it's because they're not looking at a clock face and they're not looking at a digital clock they know the time to wake I up. i still
1: get confused with you know like the old school clocks to be fair yeah i know and Animal. you get and
2: the 24 hour clocks as
1: well yeah
2: that goes right over my head <laughs> yeah. well this so this would this be, be for me curvy. well i road tested it last night and no joke i woke up twice in the night and the first thing i did was look at it to see how many stars were left i'm not even joking and then this morning i set it to wake up at eight o'clock i got up at 7 30 and i was excited i watched it for three minutes to see what happened when the last star disappeared and when the last star disappears it turns yellow big sun comes up and your kid knows it's time to get out of bed so I think it's quite good to sleep train, and you get a free little book to read. That's cool. Um, and yeah, and it's <laughs> kind of it's um, it's kind of cool. And how and much it, is that one? Did you say? So this sells for about nineteen pounds ninety nine. Um, so they say at the Grow Company, we believe safer sleep for babies means a good night's rest for the whole family. And I guess that's the whole the whole thing that they do is that all these like sleep um, mm. aid and safe sleep products. So yeah, the Grow Clock and the Grow Egg two, I think they're good products um i road tested them and they seem. um is there any
3: da- is there any dads in the box
2: no no just a baby again are you sure yeah yeah, yeah. Nope. it's just a baby there and a baby are you there. wondering why it qualifies as dad tech
3: no no i just want to are no, you want i just want to know if quality? I, 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 no, i'm really no i'm just i just find that just uh lots of packaging when it comes to promoting pa- uh products like that to parents so no, this I is have,
2: parent neutral okay it's interesting I think that's a Thing. no it's good i mean yep. no it's
3: good I, i'm i'm Yeah, uh, because uh they're not not many are so it's right. good to see that just to be aware of these things
2: yeah so there you go that is dad tech well, I think that just
1: about wraps up episode 10. Thank you, Shawnee, for coming on.
3: Thank you. It's been
1: an absolute pleasure. If people have listened to this episode and really kind of liked and been interested in what you've been talking about, how, how can they get in touch with you?
3: Uh, they can get in touch with me probably the easiest way is probably Twitter. Uh, just my name, Shawnee O'Kane, it's, uh, S-E-A-N-Y-O-K-A-N-E. Uh, or if you type in Think Fathers, I also come up on Twitter as well.
1: Jamie, thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice. Yep. Uh, and thank you the listeners obviously for for tuning in and join us again next time next time next time next time